My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in that grace. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Good morning. I want to I want to start by uh, recognizing that the little First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, is in deep grief this morning. This is a sweet little church. Uh, a friend of mine, his sister, goes to this church, and she was not there last Sunday, but he's very familiar with this congregation and uh, and the pastor Frank Pomeroy. 26 members of their church were slaughtered in church, in sacred space last Sunday. So this is just a terrible, terrible thought. But we're not just going to look at it and talk about how terrible it is. Um, We're going to pray. We're going to pray with the Halcom family who lost eight members of their family that morning. Pastor Pomeroy's 14-year-old daughter was killed, as were a pregnant mother children, and it's just senseless. So uh, we put their address here if you want to take a screenshot of that or write it down. We thought you might want to send them a card and just express your love and feelings for them. And, uh, but let's join hands and let's pray for Pastor Pomeroy's church. It, it's interesting, if you go on Yelp, they get great ratings in Sutherland Springs. He's, they just say the pastor is such a great guy and so these are our brothers and sisters, fellow Americans, but also fellow Christians. And uh, the devil won a battle on Sunday, but he's going to lose the war. And so we're going to pray for them right now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, your only son, the victorious conqueror of death. All the way back from the Garden of Eden, uh, the prophecy was that uh, the serpent would bruise the heel, but, uh, but then we would, he would crush the devil's head. Lord, we see the rise of evil in our, com- in our country. We pray against it, and then we act against it. We move against evil. Father, we pray for this congregation. I cannot imagine what today is like for them as they gather. Help them to come up out of these ashes, the, the, the little town, to come up strong, resilient, and uh, help our country, Lord. The fact that this mentally ill man had such, so, such problems, and then that the, he thinks this is the way to solve this, and the, the access, easy access he had to these weapons. Father, we've got to make changes in our country, and we've got to do it the right way, and, and the church has got to lead the way. So we grieve with them, we mourn with them, and, uh, and then we move into this next week. Whatever it holds, we never know. 
Be with us, we pray. Protect us. Watch over us. In Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's get our Bibles open, like I'm sure they have them open in Sutherland Springs. And let's stand, and let's read the Word of God, 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 1, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and the witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's our God. All right, let's get comfortable. I'll remain standing, but you might want to sit. (laughs) Our author is who? The great Apostle Peter, one of three, Jesus' three favorites by far. We love this guy, uh, probably because he's like so many of us. Uh, uh, he's up one day, he's down the next. One minute he says the most profound things, and then very, almost in the very same breath, he absolutely sticks his foot in his mouth. He's the only disciple to continually interrupt Christ and correct him. Uh, And he had, we see him in the lowest moment of his life. I'm sure that when we meet this guy in heaven, and there'll be a long line, and, uh, but we'll get to, he'll tell you, yeah, you were right. The lowest time in my life was that night that I betrayed Christ. I denied that I even knew him, that I had ever known him. And can you imagine the pain he experienced after that sin? And earlier at dinner, Jesus had predicted the whole thing. Uh, he, had, he wasn't singling out Simon Peter. He said, all of you are going to run away. But Simon Peter was the one that spoke up and says, well, they might run away. These guys might run away. I'm not running away. Jesus, you, me, I got your back. And Jesus says, uh, no, you know. Then he says this really ominous thing. He says, Simon Satan has asked permission to sift you. Now that, you do not want God ever saying that to you. That's what God said to Job. He wants to sift you. What does that mean, sift you? Is it like a flour sifter? No. It's like, it's like a rake, and you throw everything up into the wind, and the chaff blows over here, and the wheat falls to the ground. But the, Satan wants to divide you to see if there's any wheat there. He says that there isn't. Any. And I say that there is. We'll see what happens in the sifting. And I've prayed for you already that, and, and even though you will fail, I've prayed that your faith will not fail. And, and, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, any normal person, after that, you would just stay quiet and sit there, right? Not Peter. 
He continues to argue. I don't know what you're talking about, Lord. I will never, never fail you. And Jesus says, really? Because by tomorrow morning, you will have denied that you've even known me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Several hours later, Jesus is standing before the high priest. His hands are bound. He's being mocked in, in this, these fake trials. He's being interrogated. Peter is just outside, and he actually can see into the courtyard, and he can see Jesus, but he stays outside in the courtyard. John is there, and he sits down near a small fire, and a small girl, it says a servant girl, says, hey, this guy's a Galilean. Aren't you one of his disciples, she said? And he's, he said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, absolutely not. And then a little later, someone else says, aren't, aren't you one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the followers of this guy? No, no, he says. And then a little bit later, one of the relatives of the man Peter attacked in the Garden of Gethsemane is there. And he says, no, you're the guy who cut my brother's, you attacked my brother with a knife, defending Jesus. And Peter swore, I swear to you, he said, I'm not who you think I am. I don't know Jesus at all. And with that, Jesus turned and he looked right at Simon Peter. The rooster crowed. Simon Peter ran out into the darkness. It says he went out into the dark night and wept bitterly. Jesus had been right. Isn't that a terrible feeling when Jesus is right about you. And you're just like, darn this. Peter had truly believed that he would fearlessly stand with Jesus no matter what. And, and, and a servant girl took him out. Now it's going to remain to be seen how Peter deals with having just been sifted by Satan. It was humbling. It's never fun to be humbled. Especially in those moments when your own promises come back to haunt you. Uh, Jesus had warned the disciples they would all run. Peter's pride it, it kept him from including himself in the group of normal human beings on a night that would terrify any man. His pride blinded him to the possibility that he could fail. It was his pride that always got in his way. His pride had him interrupting Christ all the time. His pride had him, uh, 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 people that are prideful often don't even identify it as pride. The Bible uh, comes at idolatry and pride more than any two sins. And yet these are not the two sins that you hear preached about the most. As a matter of fact, in 38 years of ministry, I've never had someone approach me and say, Pastor, I'm just so upset. I, I, I need some counseling. I need, some, I need someone to talk to me. Really, what's your deal? What's wrong? Oh, I'm just, I'm just too self-confident. <laughs> what? Yeah. My mother affirmed me too much. And I just think I'm awesome. I'm, I'm, my greatest sin is pride. It blinds me. It, uh, pray somehow that somehow, pray for me that God will humble me. Peter writes in his letter, everyone should clothe themselves in humility. Now, humility was a foreign concept back then. Uh, it was considered a weakness. It's not like today where our government leaders and all are so humble and we, we, we see that as such a, an attribute. No, not then. These Roman leaders could be manipulated if you just, if you just uh, went after their egos and 
cater to them. There was not one of them that even had a shred of humility. And even none of the Roman gods were venerated because of their humility. No, gods didn't have to be humble. So you've got Jesus, this, the, the God, coming and then, um, and, and then doing all these really humble things. You know, the last thing, of course, being going to the cross. But, but right, the night before, he, his, his, he washes his disciples' feet like a servant would wash the dirty feet. of. And this story had circulated all over the Roman Empire that Jesus... Whether you knew him or not, he was a very unique rabbi, to say the least, much less an unusual God, not one uh, that would boast or be prideful. So we have that same problem today. Pride is actually, uh, it's not packaged as pride, uh, but good luck finding any self-help book that has you leaning into humility. No, 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 you gotta develop your brand. You gotta get the word out there about how talented you are. You gotta market yourself better. You, you can't miss an opportunity to push your uh, agenda forward. You gotta learn the humble brag, though, because, you know, it can't be too tacky, but you definitely have to, uh, if you don't manage your image, then it'll get managed for you, and you'll just get left by the side of the road with all the other humble people. And then Christians get a hold of this self-help book, and it's upside down, what the advice we're getting. It has authors like Peter saying things like this, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. In the morning when you get dressed, put on humility. Because God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. This is a good enough reason in its own right. You don't want God resisting you. You want God giving you grace. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. If you humble yourself, then God doesn't have to do it for you. And he won't necessarily do it for you. He might just let you live in your own prideful bubble, trying to have a happy life. But we don't want that. You're here today on a beautiful fall day. I'm obviously preaching to the choir here. You're, you're trying, you're going after who Jesus is and wanting to imitate him. And today, Simon Peter's telling us to humble ourselves, but how do you do that? How does a person humble themselves? I mean, and how do you know if you're truly humble? I mean, do you just look in the mirror and say, I think I'm humble? Well, if you weren't, you would say the same thing. So that doesn't work. You know what you do? You do what I do. You ask your wife. <laughs> Brenda, be honest. Do you think I'm a humble person? I'm preaching about humility this weekend. Uh, do, I, do you see me as a humble person? Do I talk about myself too much? Do I think about myself too much? Do I, I'm always fishing for a compliment. Am I full of myself? You know, God cannot fill you with himself if you're full of yourself. Do I get defensive when I'm criticized? Do I, do, how do I respond when someone else is elevated or looks good or gets that opportunity that I thought I deserved? See, these are all possible indicators of pride. But even asking that question shows that you at least want to know the truth from someone who will <coughs> tell you the truth. 
All right, so make sure you understand that being humble doesn't mean you always say things like, oh, I'm not good at anything, or I'm so dumb, or I'm so ugly, or, or, or uh, being truly humble is not thinking less of yourself than you should. It's C.S. Lewis that said it like this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Pride is so dangerous because it has you thinking of yourself too much. Yourself, that's your favorite topic. And when our focus is so inward, it robs us of very necessary 360 vision, where we're not thinking of ourselves, we're thinking of our surroundings, and it's specifically the pitfall that might be right in front of us, which we can't see because pride will blind us. That's why pride comes before a fall, because it blinds a person, and they stumble over things that a more humble person would have seen and avoided. Pride blinds us from seeing ourselves correctly. It blinds us from seeing others correctly. We end up competing when we should be collaborating. We end up leading when we should be following. Pride just clouds our judgment, causing us to say and do me first kind of things. Whereas humility is the opposite. Humility keeps our feet on the ground and our eyes wide open with the knowledge that, you know what, I could fail. And that very knowledge is often the very thing that keeps you from failing. Because you're alert, you're aware, you're, you're walking through the woods and, and, and it's a little darker now and there's roots coming across the path and you just, you're aware of that. So you don't, you're not sprinting, you're, you're making your way through and you get through it. Humility is what embraces true strengths and admits true weaknesses. And you work on both of those things, but at the end of the day, humility says, I'm not perfect, I need other people, I need to be in community. Humility is what alerts me when I'm out of my depth. And I need to say, God, I don't know what I'm doing in this job, I don't know what I'm doing in this conversation, but I trust that you will help me if I don't depend too much on my own understanding, as Proverbs says. You see, if I don't have to always look good, I will more often be good. I love how the apostle speaks from his own experience. The apostle Peter is a great uh, witness to, to what happens uh, when a person who was prideful humbles themselves. Peter promises us, if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and when I say the mighty hand of God, don't picture... It's, it's this, this mighty, sheltering hand of God. When you humble yourself under the shade of God, then he, at some point, will exalt you, but in the proper time. Proper time. See, a prideful person exalts himself at the improper time. We trust God on the timing, like Peter would teach us. Uh, when we exalt ourselves, we build ego. When God exalts us, it builds confidence. All right, back to Simon Peter when he was humbled and what happened after. Instead of bravely fighting and dying for Jesus, he's out in the woods near the high priest's uh, mansion weeping. I'm sure he wept all weekend until Sunday morning when he races to the tomb. He finds out Jesus is resurrected. Now, what's interesting is the beautiful thing about Jesus is he told Peter he was going to fail. And yet he still wanted to work with Peter after. And that should be so comforting. Who finds that comforting? That God would work with someone who has failed miserably. Not that any of you have failed miserably. You got up this morning, those people at the next service, they slept in, all right? This part's for them. 
This part's for them. No. One of the beautiful things about our God is that he takes us after failure has broken us and he puts us back together and then he uses that broken piece of equipment for his glory. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Christ doesn't base his plan for us on our promises to him. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he loves us more than we love ourselves. Uh, let's, let's go and let's look, let's look at how Jesus drew Peter back in. Uh, John chapter 21. John chapter 21. A few days after Peter's crash and burn, about a half dozen of the disciples went up to the lake for a night of fishing. They didn't catch anything. And then at daybreak, a man on the shore hollers at them, hey, guys, hey, good morning. Did you catch anything? And they're like, hmm. And then he's like, hey, throw your nets on the other side. There's a bunch of fish over there on the other side of your boat. Well, Peter's seen this trick before. He throws, they throw the nets on the other side. Sure enough, catch a bunch of fish. Peter just dives in the water and swims. The scripture even says it's about 100 yards. And he swims in, and Jesus is there. And uh, he's, Jesus has built a fire. He's got some fish on the fire. If you enjoy camping, if you enjoy fishing, there's nothing like fish for breakfast uh, outdoors on an open campfire. And, uh, and, and, and there he is. And then John tells us, after we finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, I'm at verse 15, Simon, son of John, that's his dad's name, John, do you love me more than these guys love me? That's an interesting question because earlier he, would, he had definitely said that he did. And then he did exactly what they did. But he says, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, well, then take care of my sheep. The third time you said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him three times. Three was not a number that, that Peter was comfortable with yet. Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things, and you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then Jesus goes on. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And that's exactly what the Apostle Peter did for the rest of his life. He became the great shepherd of the church, a wonderful leader. Now, Jesus had used this shepherd metaphor quite a bit, uh, and it would be an interesting metaphor for people back then. Uh, John chapter 10, Jesus uh, it says, uh, I, I'm, I'm a great shepherd. And he, he contrasts himself with a thief. And uh, he said, the thief comes to destroy and to kill. And I've come that, that, that the sheep would have life. Look at verse 11. I, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand's not shepherd. doesn't own the sheep. 
So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now for God to come and define himself as a shepherd would have been confusing to that generation. I know with us, we have all this shepherd artwork and, and, and this image of a pastoral setting, but back then, shepherding was not an, a career you aspired to. It's what you did until you could figure out what else to do, it's, or it's what you did in addition to the other things you did. Uh, it wasn't sought after. The days are long. The days are boring. The sheep stink. They're really dumb. Um, no one in the first century with an ounce of talent would aspire to being a shepherd. So Jesus comes along, and he says, I am a great shepherd, and I love being that, and I want you guys all to be shepherds. Now, that was hard for them to understand, but King David understood it, and he understood it a thousand years before Jesus said it. See, David, before he was king, had been a shepherd, and so what he had learned about leadership, he learned it by taking care of a flock of sheep, his father's sheep. He learned firsthand, firsthand the, the mundane chores, the, 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 the repeated things that you had to do, the, the, uh, what leadership is about, the things that you do as a leader that no one sees or appreciates, but you do it because you're the shepherd. David even wrote a song about how God was his shepherd. Have you heard this song? Psalm 23, say it with me. The Lord is, I shall not. I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna want. I don't, he don't want, I don't have to want because I have this great shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Whereas I've been out there looking for green grass elsewhere, he found the green grass that's my green grass. And I lie down in green pastures. He, he leaves me beside still waters, not rushing waters. Still waters, so that I, I can get a drink without being in danger. He restores my soul. Uh, he guides me along the right paths, paths that are right for me. And some of those chosen paths, he doesn't take me around pain or fear or grief. He takes me through it, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The darkest valley. I won't be afraid. Because your rod is here, your staff is here, your presence comfort me. You're with me. You're a with me God. It's your very presence that I need when I cry out for my daddy. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My enemies are right there, and yet you're sitting me down for a meal, and you're holding them at bay. They can see how you're providing for me. Oh, they hate that. There I am, you preparing a table for me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows above and beyond what I need, a blessing. I'm sure that your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, back to Peter being humbled. You know, David was humbled too. As a matter of fact, you're going to have a hard time finding a leader in the Bible who was not humbled at one point in their lives. It seems to be part of the process. 
I remember a terrible humbling time in my life. It came eight years into Cornerstone, our, our history. Uh, we were going, man. We were blasting forward. We were growing so fast, and I was learning how to preach. <laughs> and uh, uh, I've, I've shortened up my sermons now to about 50 minutes. Uh, and, uh, and I was learning how to lead. And we were filling up that shrine hall in Livermore. And, uh, and we, we became the, the largest church in the Tri-Valley within just a few years. It was crazy. And uh, eight years into it, I hit a wall like I had never, ever hit. Probably from exhaustion, uh, my health failed, uh, and so did my mind. And uh, they didn't know, they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me. They finally figured it out, and that's a different story. Um, but with it, my brain clicked off, and I hit a dark depression unlike anything I'd ever felt before, and anxiety and panic attacks, and, and it was just downright embarrassing. I mean, I didn't want to go out in public for fear I would have, uh, for fear, <laughs> that's what is a panic attack, that causes a panic attack, just the thought of going out in public. And, uh, and, 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 and the physical sickness was humbling enough, but the mental sickness was debilitating. So I just hid at home and, uh, for months. And, uh, and honestly, I was unsure if I would ever recover. Uh, but I did recover, uh, thanks to some great prayers, the right medicine, the right psychiatrist and psychologist and support group and all these things that I had been too proud to think that I would ever need uh, became my lifesaver. And, uh, and then, of course, the presence of Jesus, especially in the middle of the night. And uh, not only did I recover, I became a better person. I became a better pastor. I became a better Christian. Uh, I had never before had, had a deep well of compassion in my life or empathy. Uh, I was always kind of the, hey, that person needs to suck it up person. And man, that changed. Once I felt those feelings, uh, it was such a good thing. Uh, like, like Peter going through that. Uh, and then Jesus saying, okay, now, if you love me, all I want you to do is feed my sheep. That's all I want you to do. You, can just, you just need to be a shepherd. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to, to do that. And so I understand why Peter had to be broken like that because I've been broken like that. And... Uh, I understand why I need a shepherd, and I understand why everyone else needs one as well. What happened with this image of a shepherd is it, it flipped for the Christians, and it became, if not the favorite image for the early Christians, it definitely became one of them. If you ever visit Rome, by the way, go outside of town to the catacombs. And the catacombs is this vast underground network of caves. They're originally built as tombs. Real estate was, was, a, uh, uh, was tough to find in Rome, and so the cemeteries were underground. Well, the Christians, when they started getting persecuted, they went underground, and they started building under, this is underground. They started building these little sanctuaries where Christians would gather to worship, and for 250 years, this network of catacombs became their safe place where they could worship the Lord. And one of the, the pictures that you'll find 120 times painted on the walls of the different catacombs is the picture of a good shepherd. And this is actually one of them from the second century. And you just see even how the colors, everything is so well preserved. This hasn't been restored 
But underground, the, the, the environment there just preserved these pictures. And this is their image of Jesus carrying them through a storm. And there's some sheep here, and he's got provision, and he's got his weapons there to protect them. And the Christians would come down from the persecution. And, you know, for us, the cross is really comforting. Uh, a lot of Christians love the cross. They'll wear the cross. And, and, uh, but the early Christians, the cross wasn't so comforting because just above ground, Christians were being crucified. So they're not going to look at a cross and go, oh, that makes me feel so good. But they would look at the shepherd, and it would make them feel so, so wonderful. And also the elders among them, and they would remember Peter and Paul and Mary and Mary and, and, and Timothy and, 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 and that, the first generation, and then the next generation, and the next generation, for 250 years until 312, when, uh, when Constantine said, no, Christianity is a great thing, and everything flipped again. But uh, the underground church had these amazing elders that were underground. And the elders were always the first ones to get arrested. They were always the first ones in trouble. Uh, but they, would, they, they were fearless. And they would step out and lead the flock. And that's what we're still called to do as a church. The shepherds are called to lead the flock, great or small. And we just do for them what shepherds do for sheep. Now, the... The misnomer in all that is that I think some of you think that while I was just talking, I was talking about me as the shepherd and you as the sheep, because that's been a typical image for church. But in reality, the New Testament calls us all to be shepherds. I was watching you parents coming into the building today, and it's just so fun, because some of your kids are really fast, and they come racing into the building, and then some of your kids, you're dragging them along, and some of your kids, you're carrying them, and you have a flock of sheep, and your flocks are really cool, and uh, you got some great little flocks, and you're definitely a shepherd. You're just naturally a shepherd. You, you wanted to be a parent, or maybe, I don't know. Anyway, that's a different sermon. <laughs> and your flock is growing up. And so I was thinking about you. I was thinking about the school teachers that are here today. Where are my school teachers today? Are you shepherds? You know, you're definitely shepherds. You know, nine months out of the year, that classroom fills with these stinky little sheep, and... Uh, <laughs> And you love them. You just grow to love them. And I remember the teachers who loved me. I remember the teachers who probably didn't love me so much. But you know what it is to shepherd a group through a season of their life. And then I was thinking about those of you that are bosses, that are managing other people. How many of you are bosses? How many of you manage other people? Well, you're not just doing that so you can make money. You're, you have a group that you're trying to raise the group up to a certain level so that you all can benefit. You know what it is to be a shepherd. And you know what? What a great thing that you're a boss and that you're in church. I mean, that's got to be so good for your employees during the week that it even must, might be a comforting feeling to them. Like, my, my boss is a good woman. I, I love her. Uh, she treats me well. And uh, that's what a shepherd does. And then I was thinking about all the Cornerstone Fellowship community group leaders. Where are you today? Cornerstone Fellowship community group leaders. Are you shepherds? Yeah, you're definitely shepherds. It might have started off with, hey, no one wants to lead the discussion. Oh, I can do that, you know. And now you're like, oh, this is a lot of work. These people are a lot of work. And it's a living room full of people. But then you go, oh, I was called. Well, I'm not better than anyone. I don't know. It doesn't, the shepherd's not better than anyone. The shepherd has answered the call to be the shepherd. I think of all the children's ministry volunteers that are in the building right now. I think of all the youth ministry volunteers that are in the building right now. They're not in this room. They're shepherds, and they're shepherding uh, our young people in such a powerful way. 
And, and so here's the deal. If we could just all see ourselves as either shepherds or potential shepherds, it clarifies so much about what God expects of us. Uh, so many times the church puts out, God expects your behavior to be this and this and this. Stop doing these things and you'll be a better Christian. Jesus is the one that says, hey, listen, if you love me, here's what I, how I want you to prove it. I want you to grab a, a flock of people and be their leader. Be willing to do the sacrificial work. Just do for a group of people anything that a shepherd would do for a group of sheep. And what happens is we stop viewing ourselves as just one of the little lambs that Jesus loves so much. I mean, it's great. That's a great feeling to be one of Jesus' little lambs and then just kind of let someone else do the work of leadership. But Jesus didn't say, go be my little lambs for the rest of, of your life. He said, if you love me, hmm? Okay, let's personalize this. Let's say, if I love him, then I will feed his sheep. Say it. If I love him, so the que it begs the question, have you been feeding any sheep lately? Have you been taking care of any sheep lately? Because if you loved, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to lay a guilt trip on you, but it's a kind of easy here. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Then feed his sheep, he says three times to Peter. And maybe he had to say it three times to Peter, and maybe you just needed to hear it once, but that is the big takeaway today, that if you are either, if you are loving Jesus like he wants to be, you're like, well, I don't want to love Jesus like that. How do you want to love Jesus? I want to sing him songs. But Jesus didn't say, if you love me, sing me songs. <laughs> what do they say about love? You're supposed to love people how they want to be loved, Right? Right? All right. So don't just be a person who reads the 23rd Psalm and then relishes the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> be like the guy who wrote the 23rd Psalm. All right. So if that's the case, you're just like, well, I don't have a flock. Give me a flock. I'll lead them. Well, that isn't, that's not how it works. Peter even says it like this. Let's do the, the original Greek and let's do the English with it. The original Greek, here's what he says. All right? Here's what he says. So do that. But then the English, when you do it literally, instead of making it sound like an English sentence, it says, shepherd the among you flock of God. What is it saying? Find the among you flock that's already among you. That's who you shepherd. You really don't have to look far to find your original flock. Just look around you and say, Oh, I think they're in my flock. You start with whoever is around you that looks like they could use a little bit of leadership, just a little bit of guidance from somebody like you that's not, you know, bossy or whatever. You're just like, hey, you know, we probably ought to, let's go ahead and, you know, it was supposed to be a Bible study. It turned into a wine tasting club. I think we're going to kind of settle that down a little bit. It's a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. You just gather a group of people. And you say, well, you know, if, if, you know can I, is there anyone in mind if I open in prayer? Who's going to care? Half of them don't like to pray out loud anyway. I'm like, oh, hey, Lord, just be with us tonight. Then you go, hey, I just thought it would be cool if we open our Bibles. And this is where Cornerstone does step in and really start to help you once you identify the among you flock. If we try to put you together, it's like ChristianMatch.com. It rarely works. It's the among you flock that God is calling you to shepherd. That's exactly what Brenda and I did 25 years ago, and this is what we got. Danger. 
Paint, yeah, clap for us. I'm preaching to you. <laughs> you know, my work here is done. And you say, oh, no, no, I'm not qualified. I'm not ready. Hey, welcome to the club. Think how the Christians felt. Jesus said, okay, I'm resurrected, I'm back. They're like, we're so glad you're back. You were dead for a weekend and we completely fell apart. Now you're back. And he's like, yeah, I'm leaving again. They're like, no, you're not. And then he left. And they said, oh, before I leave, all of you go out and make disciples just like I made disciples. Okay, ready? Angels, I'm ready to roll. Boom, he's gone. (laughs) You think they felt ready? Stop wasting your time. Stop waiting to feel ready. You learn by doing. You learn by doing. So do. How do you learn to lead? By leading. And believe me, everyone wins in this process. Talk to someone who stepped up and said, ugh, I wish someone else would lead, but I guess it's me. And then they start leading, and anyone who has answered this call will tell you later, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. You know what made Steve Madsen into a much better Christian? Leading other Christians. I mean, I can't go anywhere in the Tri-Valley without being recognized. That makes me a better person. You're sitting there going, oh, that's Steve over there at that, that table. You know, hi, Steve, hi, Steve. Is that his second glass of wine? <laughs> I'm like, oh, for Brenda. <laughs> I'm a better Christian, because people are watching me. You will be too. And it's often not the spectacular work that we do. It's like the daily work. It's the years and years of work with people. It's, and, then, and, and, and then pretty often, uh, people don't even notice the stuff you do in order to be a good leader. But you've grown to love doing it because you love the flock so much. And then the last thing is what Peter says here. When the chief shepherd appears, you're going to receive the unfading crown of glory. So there's that. When the chief shepherd appears, he's going to say, where are my shepherds? And they say, you get a crown, you get a crown, you get a crown. And it's not like a crown that hair, that, you know, the king and queen wear. It's this kind of crown. This is the laurel leaf that the Olympians just literally kill themselves to try to get one of these put on their head in a ceremony called the Olympics. And it's the word. This is the Stephanos. If your name is Steve or Stephen or Stephanie, this is you. You're your parents' laurel crown. You were temporarily beautiful. (laughs) No, just kidding. But, But then Peter says it's the unfading crown that he's gonna put on you. So he's gonna put one of these beautiful crowns on you, but then it's unfading. And I don't know if it's a metaphor or if Jesus is literally gonna harvest the trees of heaven at judgment, and each of us is gonna, we're gonna stand there, and Jesus is gonna come up, and we're gonna kinda do the Olympics bow thing, and he's gonna put, and we're gonna go, I don't deserve this, and he's like, just wear it. You're a victor. You did it. And we're gonna walk around heaven going, I can't believe I did it, I can't believe. I served the Lord, and now I am here, wearing a crown that will never fade. That's a beautiful sermon. I loved that. I loved that sermon. I'm going to watch that sermon. (laughs) No, it's not often you see such a humble person preaching. (laughs) But you know what? It's time for you to respond. And here's what I want. Here's all I'm asking. There are some of you that since I started talking 43 minutes ago, the Holy Spirit has just locked you in. 
And what God is calling you to is a greater level of leadership, either in this church or in, the, in this company or in your family. Thanksgiving's coming up. Some kind, where I'm not talking about everyone here. This is not a everybody stand kind of call. This is those of you that have just said, oh, I, you're absolutely talking to me. And that is that today is the day when you stop sitting on your butt and you start moving into leadership and you say, train me, help me. I am going to, I'm going to become a shepherd like Jesus is a shepherd. I love him and I am going to feed his sheep. I don't know what this means, but today I have stopped just being a sheep and I've entered into shepherd school and I want to be trained and taught and I, you'll, you'll be responsible for your own next steps because we have no way of having you sign up right now or whatever. We've got a next steps uh, table out in the courtyard. That'd be a great place to start. But maybe you want to sit down with a pastor. Maybe you want because you need to be shepherding in the right group with the right people. And you might even say, well, I've got a bunch of little ones at home, so I don't have a whole lot of time, but I actually think that I need to even get started now. And maybe there's... Uh, some pregnant moms that are nervous and I could just be a part of that or, or, or whatever. Or I've got teenagers anyway. I think I'll step into the, the, the youth center and become part of that and become a shepherd. Okay, enough talk. You know who you are that I've been talking to and you're gonna take your next step with Jesus right now and you're gonna publicly say, I am going to become more of a leader and less of a follower in this organization. Who are you? I wanna see you stand right now, stand. I'm going to become more of a leader. You're going to see me as more of a leader in this organization. Look at that. Look, keep standing. Don't sit down. Friends, that's more people than started this church 25 years ago. That's more people that, that started this thing. We could take this thing to a level that no one has ever seen if you will step up and shepherd a flock of people. Can you imagine? Look at the people that are standing right here. And there's people... Uh, in, the, in the, the family room, in the, whatever that room is called now, it's called chapel. Uh, <laughs> parchments, drinking regular coffee instead of espresso, I heard. Anyway, here we are saying, and let's all pray together now. Father, we just, we just come to you now, and we, we have heard your call, and you are the great shepherd, and we don't know how to be shepherds, but we're willing to be trained by you. If you will empower us, we will learn by leading. And now, Lord, we pray that each person who stood will follow up with action and saying, I meant it, and that our church would be an equipping church that would raise up leaders, where it's not the clergy that get all the attention, it's the people in the congregation that become a kingdom of shepherds, a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of leaders. And as we move forward in humility in the East Bay, we pray that humility would be the reputation of this powerful organization called Cornerstone, and that we would never be self-promoting, but we would promote the name of Jesus, the great shepherd, shepherd of our souls, in Christ's name, everybody said, amen.